G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Hunting Connection podcast. Today, um, we have a very, very special episode. Here's the reason I'm sitting here with you all as we speak. We've got Geordie from Where's Geordie on TikTok. How are you going, mate? I'm doing fantastic, thanks, mate. And thank you for having me on the podcast tonight. That's good. It's been, you know... um, this episode will be episode 43, including bonus episodes. Um, it's well long overdue, but it's also good timing because I've been able to um, craft my podcasting and, you know, be a lot more smoother and all of that type of stuff. So it's it's good to have you on, especially because I wouldn't be sitting here with without you, mate. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a long time in the making. We've spoken about it before you even got the podcast started. Um, it was originally just a a dream sort of that of yours to do the podcast and we spoke about it and said that I'll happily jump on the podcast with you and it's just life catches up with each yeah. other and it just takes some time and we finally snagged a day that we we're both available to run the podcast. So I'm glad to be here. Exactly. So, for people that don't know, um, Geordie's a TikTok um, live superstar <laughs> for Australia. Um, <laughs> but he, um, yeah, we're on live one day chatting and, you know, talking about this type of stuff. And he goes, you know, just chuck your PayPal up on your TikTok, see what what's going on. And, um, yeah, from there, he's he's done a video asking all of his his followers to chip in, you know, a couple bucks here and there. And within 24 hours, we had enough funds for me to get the recording gear and, um, yeah, really, really pushed me over the edge to get the podcast going. And, yeah, we're here today because of it. Yeah, it was pretty amazing that my supporters did that that day. Um, I take no credit for it. It was all of my supporters. Um, but I just... I'm so appreciative of the fact that my followers enables me to be able to make people's dreams a reality and to be able to do this. I knew how much you wanted to do it over the years and, and yeah, we finally got it done and which was pretty awesome. Oh, it was, yeah, insane. It was um, definitely a bunch of different emotions popped up as, as you know, the notifications on the phone started popping through and yeah, it really uh, sent me over the edge to to get it going and yeah it really really helped out so yeah thank you but that's for the people that are listening to the podcast that don't know you and hopefully we get a few of your your people from uh, tiktok over here so hello to all of them let's get to know you and who you are and where you're from and how you got to where you are today where you're from geordie yeah so i was born and raised in a small country town in victoria called Maui. Um, I've always been around here. I have, you know, sort of moved into state and then come back and, you know, somehow it always has this hold on me that I always come back home. Um, it gets a bad rap in, in the news and stuff like that in the the town, but it's home to me and, you know, it's in the area that I'm able to, 
to be able to do all my passions in life, like my hunting and fishing, exploring the mountains, because it's only 15 minutes away from home. So which gives me a lot of time to be able to get out there and get in the outdoors. So yeah, I grew up around Maui. I was raised around Maui awesome. and all my, all my families are in Maui as well. So yeah, that's sweet. It's uh, definitely a beautiful part of the country, you know, passing through that area to, to get out to um, South Gippsland at the start of the year to go chase hog deer on Snake Island. Um, that's right. I was I was disappointed I wasn't able to catch you. I seen on your Instagram. I was like, oh, he's at Snake Island. Oh, now he's left. And I was like, damn it, I didn't didn't get a moment. I was doing the rankings on TikTok yeah. at the time, and which meant I couldn't couldn't get out there because I was gonna come out and see you around Foster area and that. Um, but yeah, I just couldn't couldn't manage to grab some time to get you. Yeah, well, one of your your good mates sent us into a good spot to camp, and yeah, Steve Steve hooked us up in an awesome like spot to camp and see a bunch of fallow. So that was that was great, and um, yeah, unfortunately we didn't get to catch up with him either. You know, we were on the island for just over forty eight hours and got got done what I wanted to do, and yeah. There's some awesome fallow out where he sent you, isn't there? Yeah, oh, beautiful, beautiful, heaps of different different colors like we woke up in the morning and he's just like oh look this direction look that direction because i think we got in at about 1 a.m and he's like oh camp here and then you know as soon as you get up first first spot in the morning just look out there and yeah there's heaps of different skins seen some pure white ones some real nice black ones no bucks or anything but yeah it was it was awesome the uh guy that i was camping with he um hasn't seen that many deer in one area so he was he was blown away to see that yeah, beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. And yeah, not only that, when you when you camp there, I, I don't know exactly which spot it was, but there's a spot where we do camp on a regular basis in that area. And when you wake up in the morning, you see fallow deer everywhere all over the mountain top. And then out the back of that, you're seeing um, the ocean. Yeah, yeah. So it's that's, pretty amazing. That's the exact spot. You can see Wilson's prom out, out the back there. And oh, it's just, yeah. just beautiful. Yeah. Um, so what do you do for work? We kind of mentioned what you do at the start, but what do you actually do and how did you get there? Yeah, so if, if we take it back to the start, I left school pretty early. I, was, I wasn't any good at like sort of book smart. I wasn't a book smart person. I was a hands-on. I was full of ADHD and I just wouldn't listen in class. So I was pulled out of school and I ended up on the fishing trawlers. So I was a commercial fisherman for a couple of years. Um, and then I sort of, I got really bored of it physically. I was exhausted, uh, but emotion, like mentally, it had no stimulation to me. It was just the same thing, monotonous thing day in, day yeah. out for four months straight. And then I'll come back to land for two weeks and then I'll be back out for four months again. So, um, I woke up one day when I was out on the water and I, we had phone reception that day and it, I, we never got phone reception, but for some reason that day I had phone reception and I started looking on Seek and I was like, well, what's one thing that I would never be able to do in my life? And I said, well, I'm not smart. So let's try and find a job where I've got to be smart. And I found Aussie Broadband and I ended up working in the call center at Aussie Broadband. And it was just, it was so overwhelming when I first went into that call center. Like it was, I'd spent years and years out on a trawler with four guys that had spent, you know, 20 years in prison at the time. So they were very full on men. And I come into an office where it was just this whole new social 
this whole new social platform where it was just every type of walk of people were in this one office and I was never a social person, but it, I found it really easy to be able to intermingle with them all. And I worked my way up and within four months, I was an Aussie expert there. So I was a level two That's and awesome. I was managing managing in the call center. I was answering all the technical problems. So for some reason, my mind just switched on and I I loved what I did. Um, and then I left Aussie Broadband two and a half years later and it just all come from me and Steve, the one that put you to the camping spot. Um, we made a stupid video of him jumping out of the car at 60 kilometers an hour and the video blew up and we got millions of views and all of a sudden I had about 25,000 followers in the first week of TikTok and then I didn't even know about live streaming. I was just making these videos just for the fun of it and then one day I made a video where my top was off. I took my top off and I and I said, I did a dance in front of my freezer and I said, when she when she says she's old enough to be my mum. <laughs> and I was just doing this stupid little dance in front of the freezer. At the time, I had lost everything previous beforehand. So I only had the light in my freezer that was good lighting for a video. And I made it in that. And the phone sat in my freezer while I filmed it. And it ended up getting six and a half million views. And I went to 60,000 followers in the second week. That's insane. Um, Can and we then just I still didn't touch on something yep. there you said there Kent uh, I'm not sure if you want to go into it or not I know it's a touch, like an emotional subject for you you said there you only had the light from your fridge there you didn't you recently lost what what actually happened there if you if you want to talk about it like I said I know it's an emotional subject yeah we can talk about it it's a bit easier these days to be able to talk about it, it still hurts but um sorry uh Christmas day in 2020 uh I lost my house, which killed my two dogs um, in a house fire. Um, so me and my fiance at the time, um, we we lost everything. We only had the shirts on our back left, and which was, you know, it was devastation on Christmas Day of all. Um, we lost everything, but our, I just want to give a shout out to the the township of Maui and the Latrobe Valley in Gippsland, Victoria. We uh, they they got behind us and they ended up raising thirty five thousand dollars for us, and it managed to be able to pay off existing bills that we had and more clothes for us and be able to get us a new rental property and stuff like that. So it got us back up on our feet and we got the bare minimum. Um, and yeah, so it was it was just we were just I was just getting back up on my feet when when this opportunity had started with TikTok. Yeah, it's um, that's our because I reckon I was Facebook friends with you for a, a good minute there before that all happened, and but that's when you first really started showing up on my radar. I remember seeing that, and yeah, it's it was a pretty emotional time. But um, you know, seeing how the township came together for you for you guys, and um, is that kind of where your page has has gone to because of generous generosity like that where you've gone out and helped people um i remember a while there you you camped out at a barber store for a couple of days and just everyone that walked through you know you you paid for all of their haircuts and 
Um, yeah, it's just that it's it's sort of those simple things in life. Like when when I lost everything, I realized that the materialistic things in life don't really matter. Um, and the amount of money that I'm able to earn on TikTok, I feel like it's a waste if I hold it for myself. Yeah. So in order to be able to just pay for the simple things like a haircut, you know, it was a few of them were homeless or they were they were living well, pretty rough in life they were on you know government benefits and stuff like that so you know 65 dollars is a lot for a person that's on benefits um to be able to get a, a good haircut do you know what i yeah. mean like you could go and you could pay 12 dollars for a haircut it's probably not going to be as good as a 65 dollar haircut where they give you a shampoo a head massage everything like that so um i decided i'm going to start doing it, some good things um some good deeds because they they helped me because people helped me now i try my hardest to be able to live a life where i get to wake up every morning and i get to be proud of myself um because before the house fire i was a very materialistic person i had to have the best of the best of everything and if somebody had something that was better than me i found that i i was not knowing but I was quite jealous of that person and I would try my hardest to be able to have something better than them. Yeah. After I lost everything, I realized that that, that materialistic thing, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's envy and all of that type of stuff can be, be a hard one to um, deal with. You know, everyone's envious and jealous at some point in time of someone for something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's awesome that, you know, people rallied behind you and these days you rally behind other people. Like I think with that whole barbershop one, uh, guy didn't have too much coin and didn't have a phone. You you guys went out and got him a brand new iPhone or something along those lines and a haircut and helped him out and stuff like that. You know, it's just yeah, in, insane to so see the, the so the deal was So the deal was that I said to him was, I'll, I'll pay for your haircut as long as you subscribe to me on TikTok. Yeah. And he said, and he looked down at his phone and I said, and he goes, he looked me dead in the eye and he said, I'm sorry, man, like I've got it, this Nokia and it doesn't even connect to the internet. And it broke my heart because I was like, you don't have a phone that that works. So, you know, it's, it's 2022. What do you yeah. mean you don't have a phone that, that, you know, you can click all these different apps and it's there for you. So then it got me thinking, I was like, Nah, I was like, I'm going to make you subscribe to me. So we went out and me and my friend at the time, um, we bought him a brand new iPhone 13 Pro Max. And I was like, you've got no reason not to subscribe to me now. Um, that was probably the most expensive subscriber I've ever had is, is that that iPhone. Yeah, nah, just crazy stuff like that. That's That's one thing about the TikTok community, like you see a lot of generosity like that. Um, there's another bloke that from Adelaide. He's actually one of my mate's brothers and he does very, very similar stuff. You know, there was a homeless bloke that he was helping out in Adelaide for a while and done a bunch of stuff for him and raised a bunch of money to help him out and get him off the streets and all of that, yep. s- that stuff helped with mental health health stuff and he's he's gone all around the world helping people um latest videos he was in in bali and you know asking for people to you know give him a hand doing something and that you know go help him give him their last 
you know, bit of money and then he would, you know, buy him a new scooter or, you know, give him, you know, three, four months worth of um, money that, you know, that it would take him three, four months to earn, you know. It's 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 crazy yeah. how generous some, some of those people in the TikTok community can be. Yeah, and it was it was fortunate enough that like on the internet I'm a troll. So I would be what you call a troll on the internet. I'm more than happy to say anything that comes to my mind, even if it doesn't stand by my values. <laughs> it's just to get a reaction yeah. out of people. And the thing is that I worked out about TikTok was I was able to create a community out of pure shock factor. So I would upload these videos and like, I don't know if you've seen Zach, but there was a, there was a girl that got slapped in the face and I stitched it and I said, where can I find a wife like that? (laughs) Now, do I want to slap my wife? No, I don't want to slap my wife. Right. But I was able to create like this controversial content that brought people in. Yeah. They then came into my live stream and then they seen that I was not like that at all. Yeah. Like they seen that I was actually just a down to earth, just, just a genuine Aussie guy, right. That loves a bit of banter. But then what that was able to do is because I brought so many people into my live streams, I was then able to be able to change people's lives as well. People that were suffering with mental health, people that were suffering from, you know, not being able to pay their bill next month because, you know, like a heater that we take advantage of. I've been on a phone call with a person that says, no, nah, I'm just going to go jump in a blanket because I can't afford the electricity bill. Yeah. I was like, ain't no way you're not turning that electricity, that, that heater on. Like I'll PayPal you money right now. Turn that heater on yeah. so you can be nice and comfortable, you know? So it was... I, I figured out the algorithm of TikTok and I ran with it. And that really changed the game for me yeah. when it come to making an income and being able to help people as well. So, you know, people see this TikTok influencer type stuff as, you know, being somewhat easy to do. Give a quick rundown of how how much work you actually do because I know for a fact that, you know, to do what you do, you you work pretty damn hard. You spend god awful time, different hours on there, doing different type of stuff. You know, it's it is yeah, a full time so, job for you. So a typical week for me. So I work every second week now. Um, I've managed to be able to build my platform to get to that point, but it definitely didn't start like that. Um, when the TikTok first kicked off. I made $75 in the first three months. I quit my job to because I seen it going somewhere. And so I quit my job. I lived off $75 pay packet for three months. And the only way that I did that was I had some savings from my job. Yeah. And I lived off my savings. I was down to probably my last Somebody's decided to start letting off fireworks outside my house. So <laughs> nah, all good, sorry man. for that. If that comes through the mic, um, I've never had fireworks out the front of my house before. <laughs> so for it to finally come through today, it was just bad luck. Um, so yeah, so I had about $25 left in my account when um, a person called, I'm going to say their name because I appreciate them a lot for what everything that they've done, but a person called Libby, 
Um, she is a God saviour. She is my saviour when it comes to this. She came into my life. And back then there was this gift called a gold mine, which was nothing today to get. But back then that was the biggest gift you could get. And she just started dropping these gold mines, which cost a thousand coins. So it's about $30 for every gold mine. So she was just dropping these gold mines. And all of a sudden, when I looked in my TikTok balance, I had $600 in my account. And that's with TikTok taking 70% away as well. So I only make 30% of everything that people send me. Um, but I seen where it was going. And I'm unfortunate enough, I got in there before a lot of the other people did, before there was this TikTok rankings. And when I got in there, um, like I said, the gold mine was the biggest gift. It makes you $10, $10 for a gold mine you get. And um, on this day or a few months leading up, like sort of working through all the tough, tough time of, you know, not being able to afford those basic things in life and really trying to sacrifice a lot and sacrificing the social life to be able to build this platform. I dealt with a lot of people saying, you're crazy. Why would you ever quit your job? You've got good pay. You've got holidays. You've got sick days. You've got annual leave. You've got everything like that. Why would you leave yeah. um, to go do this? You know, you're getting paid super as well. You know, you everything you, you get everything in your nine-to-five job. But I've never wanted to be in a typical nine-to-five job. It's never been me. I Like I said, I was an ADHD kid. My dream when I was 12 years old was that I was going to be a famous YouTuber. That was that was what my dream was. That's what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to do social media. And, you know, that was when YouTube first ever started yeah. pretty much. So um, countless hours, and I'm talking, I would do 18-hour days on just sitting on stream talking to people um, and no days off. For the first year of me doing this, I didn't have a single day off. I didn't hunt. I didn't fish. I didn't do anything for a whole year. Um, even on Christmas Day in the afternoon in 2021, I was streaming. New Year's Eve, I was streaming. I sacrificed every single public holiday there is to stream because I wanted my dream to work. I wasn't risking a day to fall behind behind anyone else. You were even so for sleeping. The first- you were even sleeping on live stream. That's right. I was sleeping on live stream as well. Yeah. Because (laughs) I was like, you know what? If people from America across the world and that, the only time that they get to see me is generally when I'm sleeping, I'll sleep on live. So then they get to see my face and they put my profile to my face and they know exactly who I am. Um, On my first account on TikTok, I managed to get, so I started in August, 2021, 2021 in August. And I managed to get 220,000 followers by two days after New Year's on 2022. So on the 2nd of January, 2022, I had 220,000 followers. Fast forward about four weeks of me still streaming full time. I was on the road and I hopped on live while I was driving along and I just had them viewing the road. And we were talking and my account got permanently banned. I lost everything. Yeah. So that was my only source of income that I had. And that was everything that I had to my name. Um, I think I then had maybe 
$5,000 to my name. And I was like, okay, well, you know what? I've got those followers. I just need to try and find them again. So I started another account, which I'm on now. This account now has a hundred and I think a hundred and five thousand followers or something on this account, um, and that's been over the past year of me having this account. But we, um, once again, my bank account drained before I could get all my followers again. You know, your day-to-day living expenses, your electricity bills, your gas, water, everything, your rent, everything was coming back, coming out of the account before I was loading it back up. And then all of a sudden, my original followers started finding me again. I popped up on their For You page and they started hitting the follow button and I was so lucky that they managed to. Yeah. Yeah, it's... uh... I then, for I think it was three months, I maybe made about $200 a week, um, which is not even enough to pay my rent. So because I had that little bit of buffer, it added up, the weeks added up and I was able to pay my rent. Um, some days even went out, went without food and, and your typical, you know, like your soft drinks and stuff like that. I had to go without them all. And then all of a sudden I hopped on live one week and we broke what's called the Australian record on the TikTok rankings. So basically the TikTok rankings is the more gifts that you get, it counts to points. And then you get listed as basically the top one, two, three, all the way down to 99 earners for the week. All of a sudden, I hopped on this week, and everybody must have decided we're going to put Geordie to the number one spot this week. So, which meant um, I ended up collecting 13.9 million diamonds that week. I streamed for 155 hours that week. So, I lived off two hours of sleep every single night. And the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep, I was on stream. It worked out to be about $137,000 I earned that year, that week. The following month, I then earned about $68,000 American uh, in one week. So I'm incredibly blessed with the life that I've been given and I'm incredibly blessed with the followers that have supported me and really pushed me through life. It was quite incredible. Yeah, I, rem- um, I remember you sending me the, the screenshot and because it comes out as, as US dollars and I'm like, what the fuck? Like you're pulling my leg and you're like, nah, man, that's, that's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, incredibly insane, but you've worked incredibly hard and you've been very determined to get to where you are. Um, and it's just incredible to watch how that, you know, your determination got you there. You're like, this is where I want to be. Um, I'm going to struggle to get there, but you got there in the end. And, um, you know, your your community that's behind you is amazing. There's so many nice people um, and just amazing, amazing people. Um, Incredibly blessed with them. Definitely. Incredibly blessed. Definitely. So that's jump away from that side of things for now. How did you get into hunting and fishing? Where did that come about? Um, so it actually didn't happen until later on. So I was, what was I, um, well fishing. So let's start with fishing. So fishing, I've been fishing since the age of two. My father was a hardcore fisherman, fly fisherman, game fisherman. Um, and then yeah, local bays for your snapper, gummy, whiting, and all of that as well. Um, he lived up in Marimbula, 
he moved up to Marimbula and then we were catching tuna and and big trevally and diamond trevally and that off the rocks and stuff. So from a very young age, my my passion for fishing was was cemented. There was there was nothing like it. I absolutely loved my fishing. Hunting was actually a sort of like a off stem from my fishing was when the fishing season happened and being being ADHD, I always have to be doing something, and I have to be doing something that be, that calms me. Otherwise, I get really manic, yeah. and I start making rational decisions and stupid decisions in life. So I needed something else that was going to be equally gratifying as what fishing and rewarding as what fishing it is for me. Um, when the fishing went slow during the winter months and that for snapper and gummy shark and stuff in in here in melbourne um i said to myself well i you know I, I don't really mind the mountains but you know sort of what if predators are going to get me and then i actually started studying and i was like australia has no real predators that are going to hurt me um you know the only thing i really need to worry about is snakes and probably, if not, drowning in a river is probably the worst that, that can happen to me, which that that very much so is a thing when you're carrying a 30-kilo pack. Drowning in a river definitely is a scary thing to, to you know, try and cross a river. And some but, of those slide, slides on the hills too can uh, be devastating as well. That, yeah, the 100%. There's definitely people that have lost their lives out there in the bush doing what they love, but, you know... And then I thought to myself, well, you know what? If if that was going to happen, and this is like my ADHD mind, I'm like, you know what? I if if something like that was to happen, I'm doing what I love. You know, I I've accepted the fact if if something happens to me out on the water, something's happen happening, right? I can't change that. I can't fix that. So I was like, why not try hunting? And then I was like, like I said, being ADHD. Um, making a few rational decisions in life when I was 17, 18, I ended up with an assault charge on my on my record. So I was like, well, I can't hunt because I can't get my rifle license. Yeah. So I was like, what can I do? And I looked at crossbows and then I realized that they're a prohibited weapon as well and I need to get a license to be able to use a crossbow. And I was like, well, I don't know where an archery club is. Turns out there's actually one of the biggest archery clubs in Australia. I'd 15 minutes down the road from me, <laughs> but um, the Buller Valley Bowman and the Twin City Archers. So I said to myself, well, if I have to get a license to get a crossbow, it says that I have to be a part of an archery club. So I was like, okay, well, I'll go to the archery club. I'll go hang out around there, and then that will be able to give me an excuse to be able to get my crossbow license, my firearms license. So when that happened, um, I – went to the archery club and I realized that there was a whole bunch of regular people shooting a compound bow. And then that's when I fell in love with bow hunting yeah. and the story goes on from there. That's awesome, man. Zach, um, I don't mean to say anything, but you are. Yeah, it's just started lagging then. Um, give it a second. I'll just. Yeah. So I fell in love with, um, compound bows, just the way that they were shooting. And I was only shooting, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but there's those blue little finger shooting compound bows that they give at clubs and it's for the beginners. Yeah. And you've sort of, you're shooting no sight, 
no release aid, no nothing. And I fell in love with it. And I was shooting the giant targets and I felt so much pleasure in just shooting that target because I had nothing to go off. And then I start, then I started getting bullseyes there sort of in the inner yellow circle. And then they started moving me to the smaller target. And I was like, Oh, I feel so much like just appreciation of the fact that I, I'm managing to shoot these targets. And then it it just flicked this switch in me and I was like, I don't want a rifle. And it's not anything against rifle hunting or anything because there's still challenges in rifle hunting. But I was like, I'm so fixated on bow hunting. And then all of a sudden fishing went out the window, snapper season come around and I was still shooting my bow and I wasn't casting at my bucket anymore. <laughs> I wasn't doing anything like that. I just, it overtook me and I've become obsessed with bow hunting and it's not even the, the hunting of the animal. It's being out in the open, being out in the bush and trying to survive for myself. Like it, it's just something so gratifying like being able to get within you know eight eight yards of a of a an animal is incredible it's just putting your skills up against an animal it was just the first ever time that i had a stag come around the corner and that this is a samba stag so because i'm in gippsland victoria where we have samba deer on our on our back doorstep you know which is incredible you know there's not many people that get to say that they can drive five minutes and hunt samba deer but yeah, I was I was lucky enough that this is where I am, so I'm going to take the most of it. And the first ever time that I had a stag walk out in front of me, he would have been no more than two meters, and he's I could feel him breathing, like I could literally feel it on my arm awesome. where my bow was, where I was holding my bow, and I didn't shoot the animal. I just stay. I was like scared in a way. It, <laughs> it scared me. They're they're not the smallest of deer. That's for well, sure. They're, like they're not the smallest deer. Australia's largest deer species, plus they're the third largest deer species in the world as well. So, just behind Alka moose, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's incredible to have this beast walk out from the bush right in front of you, right where and it's right where you thought that they were going to walk out of. When they actually do, you're like you're on cloud nine. You you get that stag fever. Yeah. And I just froze. I just froze. I couldn't even pull my bow back. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. I I was honestly, I was terrified, excited, and I fell in love with the deer right then and there. There was there was just this passion that lit inside of me, and it felt like, for some reason, it felt like a sort of like an ancestral thing. Like it felt like my family had done this in the past and this is the reason why I'm here. This is why I should be here. Yeah, man. No, I, I, I know the feeling there. It's a, a it's an in, insane, insane feeling. Um, did you have m- any mentors when you were coming from the archery side of stuff into bow hunting or did you get help through the bow hunting? No, no, I so I, I shot at the archery club, which is the Buller Valley Field Archers, and that's that's the hunting group out the back of Twin City Archery Club. And I shot with a guy called Marty Homewood, which was my ex-girlfriend's dad, uh, stepdad. And he was sort of the one person, he was a bow hunter, and he enjoyed his archery, and that's that's sort of where I found out a bit about bow hunting. But when it comes to, like, 
if we're talking mentoring in the way of being out with someone out in the bush and them teaching me the ways of the bush and how deer walk around the bush and how they live, it was all through trial and error. It was me stumbling across things in the bush and then trying to put link everything up and create a path that I, okay, now I understand, all right, on on this weather, they'll be wallowing, you know, this weather, this is where they will be eating this, uh, this time of year. This is what's blossoming in the bush and this is what they mainly eat. So I'm going to look for that type of environment on, and that's where I'll, I'll find them. That's awesome. Um, so what type of gear are you running these days? What, what, bow are you running what do you have yeah so i have the the so i'm going just going to sound like every typical bow hunter here you know some alpha type style guy that you know full of himself but i shoot a hoyt it's not because it's hoyt um i shoot i shoot the bow because it's comfortable for me i've shot prime matthews hoyt i've shot those obsession bows as well Obsession bows being probably one of the comfiest bows I've ever shot in my life. But um, the first deer that I ever shot was with a Hoyt. And that was the Hoyt Helix Ultra. That was the first ever deer I shot. And it was like the 35-inch bow, so it was quite large. And I'm now shooting a Hoyt Ventum 33. I think it's a 2021 model. And I love it. It's comfy as anything. It sits smooth in my hand. It probably doesn't have the smoothest drawback, but um, it, it suits me pretty well. Now I shoot that um, seventy. It's seventy pound right now. I did want an eighty. I ordered an eighty, and I actually got a seventy in the mail. Um, so I was just like, you know what? I can take anything down with a seventy. I don't really need the eighty. I'm probably just going to stress my shoulders out at that point in time. I wasn't going to the gym or anything, so I probably wasn't. I probably wasn't fit enough to shoot an 80 pound bow. I'm not some Cameron Haynes or anything like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I decided, uh, I'm not going to send it back. I wanted the bow now. And I was think I was two weeks out of the rut at the time when I got it. So I was like, I need to shoot this bow. I don't have time. I've already sold my PSE. Oh, uh, no, not PC. It was my prime at the time that I sold it to Steve for like 500 bucks. Yes, wait. And I was like, I just need the 500 bucks to be able to buy, buy this Hoyt Ventum. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. What um, arrows, broadheads, what what are you running? Um, arrows, I shoot Easterns. I, I shoot the Eastern Axes yep. um, in the match grade. And then for the broadheads, I just recently mixed it up. I'm now shooting Ozcuts. So I was I was shooting the Cayugas, um, and then I went across to the Outback Broadheads. I shot the Outback Broadheads for a good year, and I really, really liked them. I was shooting with 200 grains up front and a 30-grain sleeve. Um, so I really, really shot with a lot large FOC. Um, but then I moved to the Ozcuts just because they were nice and small. They weren't as chunky. They weren't yeah. as big. And I just wanted something a bit smaller that didn't really crush bone as it went through. And it just created a – so I'm shooting the three-blade, the three-bladers, yep. and they just create an awesome blood trail. Hurric- I can't fault the blood trail. I believe. Uh, yeah, the Hurricanes. Hurricanes are what I'm shooting, yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome. And with 100 grains. 
Yeah, beautiful. So nice, nice fast arrow these days. Then, yeah. What um, what camo are you running? So I've, I I was running the Bracken. Um, now won't give too many brands a shout out or anything, but uh, I wore Bracken because they actually supported me from my house fire. They actually kitted me up with a whole new gear when I lost it all. Um, so they sent out a free package to me, but I'm now now running the Sitka. The Sitka camo, the pure fact for that was there was a larger range of wet wet weather and summer gear, and I just felt like it actually, even though the American guys are the ones that are running it mainly, I just found that it really suits the Australian conditions as well, and especially where I'm hunting in the the thick bracken, even out to the open grass, it really, really helps to close off from being able to be seen, so... Yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I've seen seen a bit of that gear getting rocked out in New Zealand. So, but the uh, yeah, Bracken gear. I reckon half of the the guests on this podcast have uh, have been running that. So it's it's definitely good. Yeah, Australia. shout out to Luke, the owner. He's a he's a great guy. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah. Your your New Zealand trip. How did that go? Was awesome, man. Um, took the bow, didn't use it, didn't even draw it back. Um, but yeah, put in put in the hard yards and was able to get a a nice bull tar on the last day, 400 You yards. were shooting the South Island, yeah? Yeah, yep, South Island, right down the middle, yeah. um, now down near Lake Tikapoo, so. Are you bringing that tar across back to Australia, are you? Yeah, or? yeah, so, uh, yeah, out of taxidermist just to get tanned and the skulls cleaned and get it shipped over, so. Yeah, so how long is the process from that? Just for my curiosity, because my dream, my dream hunt is um, a bull tar and a New Zealand red deer. Yeah, so I'm not sure on the time frame. I'm not in in any rush to to get it back. I'll you know get it back, and then you know it will be an even longer wait to get it taxidermied. I've got a hog deer and a red stag sitting here that need to get oh. taxidermied in, at one point in time. <laughs> But, that yeah. sounds like such hard problems for you, doesn't it? Having three <laughs> three amazing animals on the ground to get taxed. Yeah, I know. it's it, it's definitely a, a a tough problem to have, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it. I, I guess it varies, you know. Um, this guy takes care of all the CITES um, permits and stuff that you need to get them into the country so you don't have to dick around doing that but if you were to just bring the the skull back cleaned you can boil it and clean it and make sure it's got no um, nothing on it and if I don't think you need the CITES permit to get the skull and the horns across, um, but it definitely helps. You know, if anything gets rejected, then it gets, you know, destroyed where, you know, you get it done through a taxidermist and, you know, they get all the permits done, they get it nice and clean, they deal with it, you know, daily sending it to Australia, America, everywhere all around the world. So it just depends who you go through. But yeah, you can boil it out and bring the skull home with you if you wanted to. Yeah, so tick that on my notebook. Let the professionals do the professional work and yep. leave the amateurs to just <laughs> appreciate it when it gets home. <laughs> oh, that's that's the best way to do it. Um, but yeah, New Zealand taxidermy prices are almost double, if not triple, what Australians are. So it's it pays to get it. I think you can even bring a green hide back from my understanding. Um, it just needs to be frozen and pretty clean 
to get it over, but you can get it all back if you wanted to as luggage. But, you know, then you've got to deal with, you know, customs and that when you come in more so. But, yeah, if it gets all tanned and then sent to your taxidermist over here, it's far easier. Yeah. So, yeah, so I run the Sika gear um, and I have a... I have a bag. I can't. I can't remember the. Oh, it's stone, stone glacier pack um, that I run, and I now currently don't hunt with boots. I used to hunt with boots when I first started. I was very much. I'm not going to walk in the bush without boots. But now I just found because I'm a bow hunter, it makes a lot more sense for me to just hunt in socks, yeah. and I wear about four wear, four pairs of explorers throughout the bush so i'm constantly going through new explorers which i'm lucky that i'm making money off tiktok because that's a large bill for yeah. explorers all the time definitely is you need them to start sponsoring the uh, the old tiktok channel <laughs> yeah explorers if you're listening to this come and hit me up <laughs> oh they're, they're definitely listening you know <laughs> so what are you running at a pack for when you're going out are you going out for a day a morning an afternoon overnight what are you What's your main main go to and yeah, then what so, are you running? So if it's just a day hunt, I just take the pack off and I've got the meat shelf there and I just store everything on the pack. Um I got it I got it for like my week long fourteen day hunts out in the Alpine country of, of Victoria for Samba, but um, so I've got the 7,200 liter, I think, and it's the bow hunting pack as well. So it actually has the straps for your bow on the back of it. Um, you can also split it apart. You can put the bow in the meat shelf, but I figured I want it pretty close to if I do spot any close sign, then I can pull it straight off. Um, yeah, so I just, just have the meat shelf for a day hunt or a two-day hunt, and um, I can store all of my freeze-dried food and stuff like that too. Um, on the meat shelf if it's any like three to five to seven days i immediately put the pack on um, and make sure that i have that reservoir for water as well because water being that main thing that i carry a lot of yeah um, some of the places that i do go like where steve had showed you there's there's no real water around there um, it's only the outside farms away from the bushland that that have water and that obviously fits it in case of an emergency sure i'm sure a farmer wouldn't care if i'm getting water out of the dam but obviously i'm going to give a knock on the door first if i'm going to do that but yeah, exactly. there is no water close by so for that mainly it's packing that 10 liters of water for each day to make sure that i'm drinking enough my two to three liters of water um other than that i'm i'm, I'm not really i'm not a heavy carrier of of a lot of items there's a lot of tinder in the bush that i can create a campfire myself so i might pack half a pack of the fire lighter and a lighter and then maybe one lighter on me that i'm generally checking the weather yeah. with as well the wind um other than that it's it's mainly just the water a spare pair of clothes just in case if i get drenched and i can hang up my clothes in the bush and yeah other than that i don't really take much besides my knife my trusty knife i was waiting for this one yeah so i it's a funny story about this I, i'm not going to say the shop because they'll probably never let me in the shop ever again <laughs> but um there was a new guy on the front desk at the time and i seen these bench made knives 
on the shelf in the glass cabinet. And I was like, oh, I've always heard about the Benchmade knives over in America. So I was like, oh, I really want to get one. And I said to him, oh, how much are you selling them for? And he goes, uh, there's got no sticker on them. I don't know. Let me go out the back and check. And he goes, he comes back and he goes, oh, $35. And I said, yeah, okay. Yeah, no worries. I'll take four. Thanks. <laughs> so I bought four. It's about $1,200 worth of knives that I got for, <laughs> for a couple of hundred dollars. Well, about 120, 130 bucks. I got about a thousand dollars worth of knife. That's insane, yeah. man. That's insane. Um, what yeah. about tent? You're running any tent in particular when you're out, or are you heading back to the car every day type thing? Or yeah, so I have one of those. I can't remember the brand, but it's the. I think it's the MCR. Okay. Yep. yep. I think that's what they are. MSR. So I run one of those. Yeah, MSR. That's the right. That's the brand. It's one of those red and white tents. Yeah, yeah. They are just so practical. They're so light. They're so easy to put up, especially when it's extremely windy. They're, I sat out there one day, um, and it was out towards that spot that Steve had taken us, and we were out there for, I think it was 10 days we were out there, and it was in the peak of the rut, and it was absolutely hammering down with rain. Um, for I'm talking about seven hours of daylight. Every day it was just absolutely bucketing down and I didn't get a single drop of water on me and there was no condensation in it either in that tent. It was just absolutely fantastic and it fit in the pack and it was just so light. That's awesome. That's great. Um, What about top beginner tip for getting into hunting? What would be, from what you learned going to the archery club and all of that, what would be your top beginning tip for someone getting into it? slow down and use your bonos that that that's my main thing is um so i watched this video about the eight steps in the bush the deer move at eight steps at a time so you start imitating how they walk and then you become less detected obviously keep the wind in your face but 100 percent use those binos because especially if you're hunting samba deer one of the hardest animals i believe to hunt um, you know, fellow deer, I feel like sometimes you can walk up to them and chuck a rock at them and then they, then they realize that you're there. But Samba deer, they are the ultimate survivor, the ultimate survivor. I've, I've seen Samba deer get down, down to the ground and crawl on the ground. I've, I've watched them do it in front of me and then all of a sudden they disappear. So use those bright binos and look for anything that does not look ordinary in that bush that's yeah. I've actually heard the Samba do you do that before. I can't remember where I've heard it from, but I've heard it. Um, speaking of binos, what are you running there? Um, I what I did have a pair of Swarovskis, and I dropped them one day, and because I had dropped them, the glass broke in it, the crystal broke in it, and they were destroyed. And when I tried to return them, they wouldn't allow me to return them without a hefty, hefty fee of. Um, fixing them so i went to the vortexes i had the pair of vortex diamondbacks and i ran them for a while and now i've got the vortex viper hd's beautiful in the 8 by 24 and the 10 by 10 by 50s beautiful that's um probably the most used glass from the podcast guests i reckon is the the old vortex they they seem to go well um top five beginner items for a 
beginner? A target. Um, if you if you're bow hunting, definitely. Um, I, I I can't speak when it comes to rifle hunting because I've never done it. Um, but bow hunting, a target. You're gonna need a target because you need to put so many hours on that target before you ever enter that bush and try and take an animal's life. Um, also, um, I would say you need binoculars, 100% binos. Get yourself a really good pair of binos. There's no point in buying second quality binos. Buy once and buy right, because otherwise you're just you're going to have fogging issues. You're going to have issues with not being able to detect whether it's a stick or whether it's actually an antler or whether it's an ear in the bush. You need as high definition binoculars as you possibly can afford at the time. Um, I would say a good pair of my idea is when you're first starting, you need to you probably need a really good sturdy pair of boots. Um, for your ankles and a really good backpack, a good backpack that you can carry for hours because that thing is going to be your best friend. You are carrying your home around that bush. So make sure. And that, and I would say an EPIRB as yeah. well, an EPIRB or a GPS. Yeah, hundred percent. That's uh, some, some definitely good items. Um, what have you forgotten on a hunting trip? I have forgotten. <laughs> you would think that uh, it still it still kills me to this day. Um, I went hunting up into New South Wales. I finally had the courage, and I was like, "I'm going to go uh, for one of the good quality fallow bucks that New South Wales has to offer." And I got out to the Blue Mountains, and I realised that I left my release aid back here in <laughs> Gippsland. <laughs> and I was shooting an 80-pound bow at the time. That was my Hoyt Helix. Um, so then I was trying to finger shoot an 80-pound Hoyt Helix. That's <laughs> and, uh, it was just, it was ridiculous. Like, I didn't end up taking a shot at an animal or anything like that because when I was shooting the target, I was probably shooting 20 feet <laughs> below the below the target. So there was no point hunting. I just went out there and I took photos and I just looked through my binos and just watched the rut happen. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. So what's the most important item you take out hunting with you? I guess it would depend on what your sort of class is important, but my idea of important is my binoculars because that allows me to be able to see everything that the naked eye can't. Um, I hunted for quite a while without any binoculars because at the time I couldn't afford the binoculars. So I was hunting without binos and I just noticed the moment that I got a good set of binos that I was just seeing so much more. I could see through scrub and it just made it so much pleasurable to be able to hunt. Just your arm gets tired from looking through them all the time. Yes, yes. And I, I definitely agree that's one of the, the better things to have. And once you have a quality pair, it's, um, yeah, there's there's nothing like it. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. What's the most sketchy, dangerous thing that's happened to you on a hunt? <laughs> I got swept down a rapids with my pack on with a 7200 liter pack Jeez. i got sweat and i was struggling to breathe like i was struggling to get my head above water until i would manage to get on my back and float on the pack lucky there was a i actually it was lucky because i at the time i had a good spotting scope 
so I left my inflatable pillow inflated at the time um, to protect the spotting scope. And lucky that was enough air as well as the pack to be able to actually float me. Yeah, wow. And when I managed to finally get some get some breath, uh, some oxygen into me, I actually finally realized what was happening because my body sort of went into shock. I was I was trying to cross a river because there was a I I've seen on my GPS that there was a little bit of sort of an opening and I wanted to hunt that first light. So it was probably nine o'clock at night. So it was pitch black darkness and I just had a head torch on and I sort of weighed up my options on whether I was going to be okay to cross these rapids. And from what it looked like, it was pretty shallow, but I didn't realize how deep it was in the, in the center of the river. And this is why I highly advise anybody not to cross a river at night. And I know that that's probably generally an obvious thing to not do is cross a river at night. But when I needed to get somewhere and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to make up that time in the morning when I woke up, I was like, I need to be on that side before day breaks. So I didn't really have the option to cross the river without doing it at night. So I was on a five-day hunt and this was like the fourth day. This was the last morning. So I didn't have the option to go across, wait the whole next day and then hunt the next morning. This was my last day on out in the bush and it was on my way back to the car. I had about another day's walk. So I only had the opportunity to hunt that morning and I needed to to hit the hills and, and get back to the car to get back to work the next day. So I took a few steps and it was perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden the the footing underneath me went loose and I slipped and I fell in the deep section and it was sort of like a straight run. Didn't I was lucky enough that there was no rocks sort of through that rapids. It sort of had like a slipway where it just funneled me straight through. And I went under and I took a heap of water and nine o'clock at night, this was the middle of winter. I was hunting Samba deer in Victoria, Alpine country. So it is cold. It is extraordinarily cold. And for that, once I got myself, I managed to find it sort of like a little branch that was laying in the water from a fallen tree from the erosion. As I grabbed onto it, it, was, it wasn't the most sturdiest thing that I'd grabbed onto, but it was enough to be able to just sort of shuffle myself and get myself standing so then I could walk or sort of wade through the water to be able to get back up on the other side. Unfortunately, where where the where it was, it was quite steep. So it meant that I couldn't get straight out of the embankment right there. I needed to walk down the river or walk up the river to be able to get to safety. So I was like, you know what, I've I've already come down this way. I already know what's there. And I know that if I fall again, I'm going to come back to this log. So I'm just going to, I'm going to walk upstream against the, against the rapids and I'm going to get up on the other side where I wanted to get out originally. So I managed to do that. And there was a little bit of doggy paddling that happened as well. I put the pack underneath me and I sort of used it like a boogie board and I managed to get to the other side, but unfortunately everything was drenched. Everything in my pack got drenched. I didn't close the seal properly. And it filled with water, which meant all of my camping gear was all saturated. My jet boil, everything was everything. I'm talking everything. My down jacket, it was absolutely saturated. So I had no warmth in the night. Um, even my like my sleeping bag, everything like that was was completely drenched. So I had to basically shiver myself and lay by a campfire the whole night 
during the middle of winter in Victoria it was it was definitely a scary thing. But I still didn't pull the EPIRB yet because I, I I was safe and I was alive, um, and I knew that I could make it through if I had the campfire. And it saved the helicopter from having to try and come out and get me in the middle of the night. Being found in the middle of Victorian bushland in the middle of the night by a helicopter with the canopies that are around, I knew that they wouldn't be able to they wouldn't be able to get me anyway. They wouldn't be able to spot me. So, um, yeah. I, that's insane it was pretty that would uh yeah definitely get the old heart beating that's for sure um yeah just even crossing the the glacier melts up in new zealand where we're crossing was you know pretty safe knee deep you know but just the force and the current behind the the water there so i i can definitely imagine what it would be like you know midwinter and a deepish river that's yeah, you're lucky to be be here with us, that's for sure. Yeah, 100%. So, what's the funniest thing that's happened to you out on a hunt? Surely it has to be something with, our, with old Steve. <laughs> uh, Steve is a character. Every single time that I go hunting with Steve, and he's my main hunting partner as well, um, if we're... It's generally day hunts when we, we when we hunt together and it turns out to end up being just us messing around in the bush and we don't end up doing much hunting because he's just, he is a character. He's absolutely hilarious and one moment he's climbing up a tree and I'm cutting it down on him and like it's just, it's the funniest thing when we are out in the bush and it, it it's just that camaraderie and just absolute stupidness that we get up to out in the bush <laughs> is just hilarious. One day... We found an old uh, ute um, bonnet and it was just laying in the bush and we seen a massive hill and he was like, all right, well, you know what, let's make a TikTok. And he um, <laughs> he jumped on it and it's, it's this small one out the back of my hometown, but I'm talking like this hill is steep. Like you just don't understand how steep this <laughs> hill is and it's probably a good 300 meters long like it is massive so he jumps on it and he grabs onto his phone and he's recording off his phone and i'm recording from the bottom and there was sort of this drop and he slid down and he launched off the drop and come down and he just went into this violent death roll on this on this car bonnet and it still cooks me up to this day whenever I think about it because he come out and he had scratches all up his face all across his ass, all down his arm, like down his ribs. Everything was just gored up from these underneath the like sort of pine. Um, there was like pine litter on the ground yeah. underneath all of that was just jagged rocks and he just hit every <laughs> jagged rock down the hill and it was just the funniest thing i've ever experienced out there yeah he's 100 yeah, he's, he's definitely a larrick and i love getting snaps from him because you never know what it's gonna gonna be and what he's what he's getting up to that's for sure <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> he's just an absolute yeah. absolute character um what about top five dream he animals? Is. No, like money's money's no issue, you know. Where would you go? What would you chase? What's your top five dream animals? 100%. And I talk, I talk about this on my live stream all the time. Even though the majority of my followers are not into hunting and they're not into fishing, they purely came because I had my top off on a TikTok <laughs> and that's basically it. But I sit there and I talk to them about hunting all the time and the ethical side of things and stuff, but, and also the conservation side of things. But I think the number one hunt, if I could choose anything, it would be Kodiak brown bear 
on Kodiak. Kodiak Island, bow hunting with a recurve on Kodiak Island. Oh, that that just that gets me excited. And then a hundred percent, it's going to be um, like Colorado elk country or something like that. Um, hunting elk, probably in every state that offers elk hunting, I would like to do that. And then it would definitely be um, New Zealand red deer tar and chamois hunt. Yep, yeah, beautiful. That's that's an epic list. Speaking of uh, brown bear, have you watched Cameron Haynes' new new um, We Once Were Wolves? I have, and I I said to said to some of the people because I sort of have that same mentality. And like I said earlier on in this podcast, I said if I'm doing something that I love and I go out, I'm happy. Yeah. Like I don't want people to miss me if I go out by hunting or fishing or something like that. If something happens when I'm when I'm doing what I love the most, On a then that's live, okay. You know. <laughs> yep. Then that's okay. So Cameron Haynes has been one of the big, biggest influences for me, and he just summed it up perfectly when he said, "You know, that's it's my destiny. If I get taken out by this bear, it's my destiny." And now my destiny was interrupted by someone shooting that bear. Yeah. You know, and you could see it, you could hear it in his voice. It, it's one of those things like you can fake as much as you want for a camera and stuff, but when you actually hear that voice and him actually relaying that, I was like, I so like I associate that with so much. Like I connect with what he just said. If he, that was my destiny. Then, then that's okay. Take me out, but like that's what I say to all of my followers. Like, if you wanna, if you wanna know how I feel about hunting and fishing, go watch that new Cameron Haynes Once We Were Wolves, and that sums it perfectly. Yeah, um, Jürgen, who I hunted with um, in New Zealand, he's a massive cinema cinema photography nerd and love loves all of that type of stuff. Does his own YouTube channel, um, hunting YouTube channel, um, but yeah, he. Uh, yeah, he's just like, oh, I don't. I'm like, you you watched it. What did you think? He goes, oh, I thought it was really good, but I don't don't think you'll like it. It's a bit slow. Rah, rah, rah. I'm like, well, I'm like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm halfway through it and I'm fucking loving it so far. And he's like, oh, well. <laughs> he's like, well, disregard what I've said then. And then yeah, got. To I think it's incredible. Spoiler- like, I think that if you if you're not a hunter or you're not a fisher or anything like that, you're not an outdoorsman. Go and watch that that movie that they've created and I, I don't know how you wouldn't be able to fall in love with hunting. Yeah. I don't know how you wouldn't be able to fall in love with being in the outdoors because they summed it perfectly in pause, that movie. Pause this episode if you're listening to right now and you haven't watched it, go spend the hour, go watch it and then come back and listen so we don't spoil it too much for you. So if we do spoil it, it's your own fault from this this end out. But yeah, that that bit where you know he shoots the bear and they're off looking for it and it comes charging in and the he goes to shoot. Oh, well, he shot it with a bow to put it out, but it was still coming. You know, at ten ten yards and the guys just unloaded with a rifle into it and dropped it in its tracks. But you, you hear Cam in in the background like faintly just swearing his head off. Fuck this. Fuck that. Fuck. Like he was not happy. Yeah, and he like guy. screams no. Yeah. Like I think when the shot f- f- like first rings out, he's like no. Yeah. He screams, screams no because he felt like his destiny had been interrupted. Yeah, it's just a crazy mindset to have as do- well. Like it, 
listening to him talk about hunting, you know, South Africa and stuff when he hunted, um, you know, Cape Buffalo and that. He like he did not want someone there with a with a rifle. Same with Buff in Australia. He did not want there someone behind him with a rifle, you know. So I think he was he pulled it together in the end of that episode to talk about it, but he at the time he was not happy. Like that's the that's the nastiest, the angriest I've ever heard Cam Haynes speak, you know, from someone that's so yeah. positive and motivational. Like you could tell he was just furious at that guy. Yeah, and I, I'm the same as well though. Like the like I said, I, I have nothing against any style of hunting, right? Because that's how what people enjoy the most, except for spotlighting, of course. But that's a different topic. But legal, sp- hang my, on. legal spotlighting is fine for shooting. Illegal and pe- poaching. Yeah. Illegal poaching is what I what I can't stand. Hundred percent. Thank there you for go. correcting me on that one because I'm sure that there would have been people pretty angry at me at that <laughs> moment. But um, my thing is, except unless if it's illegal. I have no issue with any style of hunting because that's what you enjoy the most. My thing is if I'm going to take a bow to the bush and I'm taking a bow to hunt with that, I don't want an alternative type of hunting to fix the issue that may occur. So when I say issue, it may be just a bad shot placement or something. I want to follow up with the same, with the same style, like with a bow, right? Because I'm shooting with a bow, I want to finish that animal with a bow. Why? Because I took that shot and now it's my it's my job to to finish that job as well from start to finish. And that's harvesting as well. Like if it's if it's the animal that I've harvested from the bush, then I'm going to be the one that's cutting the skin and cutting all the meat off it and stuff because it's a, on the spiritual level of, side of things. I want to be the one that starts the process and finishes the process. Yeah, I, I I definitely respect that for sure. Um, when you're in a group setting, though, you know, you all pitch into work and help together New Zealand trip, you know, Jürgen knew his way around a, a bull tar. It's something I hadn't, like, he caped it completely different to how I would have done it. Um, and then he explained why he did it that way. I'm like, okay, yep, I did not know that, you know. it's So it was good to have that inside knowledge and that help from someone that knew the animals intimately. So that, you know, having that. Yeah, help. of course. Like if they, if they know what they're doing, how a hundred percent guys get as much advice as you can off the people that know the most about that 100%. But I feel like as well, like if, if we're hunting our native, like not native, sorry, I don't know why I said native. <laughs> we don't hunt our native animals in Australia, but um, if if we're hunting our animals in our area and stuff, and um, I feel like you should do your research about that animal as well before you go hunt it when it comes to like hunting our homeland of, of Australia, if it comes down to deer or buffalo and stuff like that, I feel like people should definitely do their research on the animal and, you know, different cuts on that animal before it comes time to actually harvesting that animal because then you're you already know sort of what you're doing in a theory lesson you sort of know where the cuts are you know how to cut the skin you know how to harvest that animal to its full potential so then you're not wasting that animal 
because I don't believe in any wastage in animals. Even the bones that I like, I take as much bones as I can, like within within reasoning, if I'm out on a seven day pack hunt and I can't take too much weight, cool, I'm going to take all the meat that I can. But if I'm close to home on a day hunt, I'll take the bones home as well because I give them to my dog. I give them as a bone, like I boil them up, I give them as a bone broth and put them in his food at night. And so I use as much as I possibly can off that animal. But yeah. Yeah, 100% I'm the same, you know. If I can get an animal out whole and bring it back home, I'll bring that animal out whole. I eat liver, I eat heart, kidney, I make bone broth for myself to drink because there's no way I'd waste something so great on a dog. <laughs> and I know how much yeah. you love your dogs, they're your kids. Um, so I'm just joking around there. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's what it is. But, you know, in Australia, we're also in a in a different world. Same with New Zealand, you know meat wastage is looked a bit differently because we are in a country where you're not required to take the meat. You can just shoot them and leave it. Our government shoots thousands of animals out of a time from, from a helicopter and just lets the, the meat rot. But that's a, that's a different story again. You know, it has its benefits. It has its suckiness, you know, as hunters we're against it, but for conservation, it has its benefits in some areas that's a tricky subject and we talk about that quite a quite a bit on the podcast one of my good mates um dan he's a biologist so we did a three and a half hour episode on on deer in australia and why we should cull them and my thoughts and my opinions versus his facts as being a biologist and what he's read and studied and you know, <laughs> it's definitely a tough one when it comes to yeah. That. Like when it comes to when it comes to that, like I actually do want to touch on that because I actually like Dan. I really like listening to Dan and the and his his outlook on it all as a professional in that industry. Um, I I appreciate his comments when it comes to to that because at the end of the day we're all going to have our own little sort of biased opinions when it comes to it because it's what we love the most it's it's our biggest passion majority of hunters there is no half in, like foot in the door type of hunter majority of large majority i'd say 99 percent of hunters are all in that's what we love the most in life is is being out hunting so we do all have our biased opinions but as like a gippslander um, we all know about the helicopter culling of Samba deer in our Gippsland Alpine country. I I understand and I think that there is sort of a place when it comes to helicopter hunting, uh, like culling. Do I think that the animals should be left there to just rot away and feed the the invasive species that that are thriving because of it? No, no, I do not. I do not. Um, I don't appreciate that, and I also don't understand why we would do that and leave an animal's life there to just rot. But I do understand because as hunters, you know, we are – a large majority of hunters are meat hunters, but there are a large, large population of hunters who do like to – find the nicest looking stag and stuff like that. I get it. Like I'm very open-minded and I understand that there are people out there that will just hunt like big heads. Okay. We, we can't deny that that's happening because it does happen. But um, to me, I'm a meat, uh, meat hunter. I've 
actually never shot a trophy size, what people would class as a trophy size deer, right? I've never shot one. Um, I've shot meat animals and I like to let the larger models breed so then we have a better bloodline and we don't have all the raghorns and, yeah. and all that sort of bloodline in, in our Gippsland region as as a as the main topic for me because that's where I've really majority hunted all my life when it comes to hunting life. Um, I would agree that we should have more access and I know that that's very gluttonous of me because Victoria, we have the most area to be able yeah. to hunt and <laughs> with no real regulation when it comes to sort of what days we're allowed to hunt those areas. Obviously, the national parks are different, but Victoria, we are very lucky. Um, but Hashtag I can't just blessed. speak as a Victorian. I have to speak as an Australian. Um, you know, Queensland, unfortunately, can only hunt private property. South um, New South Wales is segregated to certain areas of public land that they're allowed to hunt and they've got to log exactly where they're going um, and everything like that. There's a, It's a lot more restricted for sure in other states than Victoria, but um, I feel like it's only going to be a matter of time before, before Victoria gets the shit end of the stick as well and starts copping a lot of lot more regulation and that. You know, you look at our duck hunting regulation, which is I've never duck hunted in my life, but that's that's now getting smashed by a lot of the politicians and greenies that feel sorry for the ducks, even though if you go down to the area that Zach camped at and um, for his hog deer hunt, you'll notice how many ducks there truly are in that area and all it takes is one genius to actually be like mm, maybe i might actually go down and have a look and research this population of ducks because there are quite a substantial amount of ducks down there yeah that's that's another another touchy tricky tricky subject that dan's educated me on several times especially when it comes to opinions versus feelings versus biology and facts so you know they do have biologists that go out and count the numbers who work out and determine what we're allowed to take um we had submissions six-ish months ago where anyone could send in a submission they said these are the questions we want you to ask these are the question uh these are the questions we want you to answer um you know majority of the submissions were written with passion rather than actual fact and following the yep. questions that they asked for. And that was on both sides from hunters and from anti-hunters. Um, you know, there was probably only two, maybe three submissions that actually covered what they asked for, which is unfortunate because we as hunters, we feel like we're getting picked on, harassed, you know, getting in the short end of the stick constantly. But, you know, these decisions are made by biologists. They give their recommendations of what the seasons and limits should be. Then it comes down to public opinion, what it should be. And due to the fact that we get too emotional, um, you know, they kind of just writ wrote off all the submissions and gave us a shortened season, shortened bag limit. Um, unfortunately, us yep. as hunters and shooters, we need to work better on this side of thing. We need to make sure our submissions are based on fact and not 
feeling when it comes to this type of stuff. Um, you know, yep. you might go to one area and there's, you know, a thousand ducks there. But just because there's a thousand ducks there, it doesn't mean you go, you know, a K up the road and there's yeah, two true. two ducks on a pond, you know. If yeah. There's a beautiful analogy that I heard on the Woodside podcast by Ben O'Brien, you know. If you're at a bus stop and you've been going there for 20 years and there's always been one or two people hopping on that bus with you and then suddenly there's... 20, 30 people at that bus stop with you, you're like, this, you know, the public transport system's overcrowded, rah, 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 this is shit, but you yeah. can go to the next bus stop and there's still only two people down there, you know? Um, yeah, I, I understand that 100%. I just see the, the two different sides of things and GMA being, being the main one here. I'm not sure what they call themselves over in South Australia and that, but GMA have, here in... We don't have a GMA. Um, uh so we have the GMA in Victoria and like I see it like the other weekend I was fishing at Blue Rock Dam for trout and bass and I stopped and I had a chat to the fisheries guys and I just found that the communication between a fisherman and the fisheries is a lot better than the GMA and the hunters. And it's not necessarily just the foot soldiers of the GMA that are out there in the field and that. I mean, it's the higher-ups. Like, I feel like the Victorian Fisheries Authority is, is definitely a lot more involved with the fishing community than what GMA are with the hunting community. See, I, I beg to differ there. As an outsider who's hunted Victoria using Snake Island as an example, right? So that's, it's volunteer run. GMA make sure that we're following the rules. They'll send someone out there um, for the briefing on the Sunday, you know, early morning Sunday. They do their best for us to get out there. We also, to hunt Snake Island, we need to do a bunch of permits to because it's a national park. So GMA get in contact with the National Park Services. They make sure that all the permits are all sorted out. Um, they were outstanding. Everyone that I dealt with from GMA was outstanding. You know, My license, when they yep. asked for it, was about to expire, so I sent them a photo of that. Then when I updated it, sent them an up, updated version. Um, the fella, I'm blanking on his name, but who did our briefing, um, he was outstanding. He was blunt, but he was outstanding. We got back to weigh in and, you know, he said, you know, make sure you try and do this for me when, when you bring the deer back, you know, dragging your deer 10 and a half kilometers out at nighttime, you know, it can get quite tiring and you forget all this type of stuff, you know, you're, you're full of yep. emotions and adrenaline and that. So you forget these things. And we got there. I'm like, you know, we had to give him a heads up saying, you know, we're going to, can we meet at the checking station? He's like, yep, I'm there. You know, he was, it was a bit short and grumpy because we didn't give him enough time, but it's like, Hey, I'm on Optus. We don't have too much signal out there. But <laughs> when we got there, you know, um, got chatting to him. I'm like, Hey man, thank you for coming out. Thank you for, helping us out. Thank you for your information. You know, it helped um, yep. and just thanked him. And his attitude changed instantly. So, you know, being there, yeah. they're, they're going out there dealing with hunters constantly who are like, why the fuck are you checking my license? Why the fuck are you picking on hunters? Why are you doing this? So they're coming into it like hunters with the public. Hunters with the public are constantly under attack. So we've got our defenses up straight away. 
probably same thing with the GMA yeah. guys. They're going into a situations where people are carrying firearms around and they're constantly getting attacked. Why aren't you doing enough for us? So they've got their shackles up yeah. too. But as soon as you start yeah, showing, showing appreciation for what these guys actually do, um, and I've only had very limited, um, you know, experience with GMA guys, but from my my understanding, all of them have come from a hunting background. You know, this guy came from Romania and came over to Australia and started hunting on hound crews chasing Samba, you know. So he's, yep. he's got a vast knowledge of the area in Gippsland um, and all of that type of stuff. I'm hoping to get him on. I've got his number and he's just waiting for um, approval yep. from his higher up so we can chat about all of this type of stuff, you know, the common misunderstandings. Yeah, it would be that, great to get his opinion on it. For sure. Oh, 100%. It's it's very, it, it's a hard one because, you know, you see on social media people blaming GMA for what's going on. But, you know, they are doing the best that they can. They have to make sure that we're following rules because if we're not following rules, then other organizations are going to speak out. You know, parks are going to speak out. Yeah. You know, it's their job riding on the line. If they yeah, if like, hunting stops, they're not doing their job anymore. And, you know, these guys and girls from GMA, they love hunting. They've managed to turn their yeah. passion of hunting into a job. So they're not out there to attack yeah, like, us when for it no come, reason. When it comes to the comment section on GMA, I don't even read the comments when it comes to the Facebook pages and that because I just think like the way that some people carry on in those Facebook comments is it it does not give us a good look. We look like a bunch of barbarians, <laughs> you know, not getting our not getting our steak for the night. You know, like it's yep. the way that we carry uh, and carry ourselves in the public eye needs to be so immaculate in that aspect of things because. If you carry on like an absolute Yahoo um, in the public eye, that's how they look at us. You know, it's they have this typical thing where we're all gun home, we just, you know, shoot anything that moves and stuff like that when we're not. You know, so many hunters are just standard average guys working in an office as well, like they're doing their nine to five and they their passion is being out in the outdoors. And if they take, if you know, if they harvest an animal, then that's a bonus. But the 99.9% of us, we're not gung-ho. I've never touched, I've never shot an animal with a gun or anything like that. I've chosen a bow because that's what my passion is. But you can't, you can't, it's it's like to reason with someone, you can't use aggression. And that's all that I see is you need to be able to level-headedly talk to somebody on the same playing field it's like when you take when you meet two dogs together, you don't take them into the same backyard. You don't take it to the home of the dog's backyard because then they're already on the attack. They're already on the defense. They're ready to defend their home, right? But if you meet them out at a dog park, then you find that they get along a lot easier, right? Yeah. And humans are the same thing. The moment that we find that something is being attacked that we love, we're immediately on the defense, but you need to, rather than being on the defense, let them attack for a moment and then try and just reason with them. Let them settle down. Let them get 
gain their composure and then try and seek to their better nature and give them the actual understanding on why we've all fallen in love with hunting. Because at the end of the day, if we don't act in the way that we should be, we're going to lose our passion because fishing is fishing is not under attack anywhere near as much as what hunting is. Fishing's under attack. Don't get me wrong. They're trying to constantly close areas for marine parks and that, but hunting hunting it's it's a lot more in your like it's a lot more in your face to a person that doesn't hunt than what it is to fish you know like they see and it doesn't help with disney has created all of these movies with these animals that make them sound like they're a they're an animal like that they're a human with feelings do you know what i mean like it's it's not that case i don't know if the people that haven't hunted i don't know if you've seen animals how they die in nature but it's Us hunting nice. is a lot more ethical than any way that these deer and that are dying in nature because these deer, they, you know, they grind their teeth until they have to starve to death. They're dying in the winter. They're, you know, from hypothermia or whatever it is that the animals die of. Like, it's not a nice world. The animals that kill each other, like, they, they're a lot more savage than what we ever are because we've got that conscious that we feel sorry for the animal. And, you know, there's been many times where I've taken a deer's life and I've cried. Like, I'm a fully grown man and I'm going to cry. Why? Because it's it's a passionate thing to go through and it's a spiritual thing to go through. Like, that animal has just provided you with, you know, another winter's worth of food. Sure, we can go down to the supermarket and we can buy steaks and we can buy our T-bones and like a rant. Um, rack of lambs and stuff but what gratification do you like what sort of like spiritual i've never met somebody that's gone to the supermarket sat there and really taken it in that that was an animal that's life has been taken where the hunters they connect with that animal you know you you write down on a cryvac bit of meat you know on this day you know say 12th of the 6th 2023 i took this animal you know and we know exactly what day it is. And the moment that we eat it, we can put it straight back to that animal exactly in that whole hunting um, session that we had. You know, you, you can't do that by buying a steak from, from Woolies or Coles. You can't do that. No, no, so, 100%. you know, and and for us to cop the the whole thing of us being, you know, savages or whatever because we hunt, well, you know, somebody has killed that animal that, that's stored in Coles and, and Safeway. It's so just a disconnect. Why? At the end of the day. So why would why would why would why are we copying all of the hate from those people? When yes, okay, if you don't eat animals and you don't wear animal products and you live one hundred percent a vegan lifestyle, I respect your opinion. Okay, I will respect the opinion of a person that lives the lifestyle that they refuse to do any animal products. And I'm not going to be sit here and be petty and be like, oh, well, you know, look at all the look at all the insects you killed, you know, while harvesting your wheat. I, I won't do that. Right. What I will do is I will say, well, you know what? I respect your opinion and I understand the way that you live and you've decided the, the way that you live is that. And you may be against what I do, but it doesn't mean make me look like I don't know what I can say on here, but say what I, you want. Don't mate. make don't make me look like an absolute fucking jerk just because I've decided to live my lifestyle like this. Because I would much rather spend seven days in the bush working hard for my meat 
um, on what I want to enjoy, then go to the supermarket and buy it. Okay. And there's nothing against the people that buy it from the supermarket, but don't ever come at me because I want to eat the meat that I've harvested rather than do the same thing that you've done and eaten meat that's been pumped full of fluid and that to make it look bigger than what it actually is. And you're getting ripped off for the actual amount of meat that you're actually getting, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, definitely a difficult one because people are so disconnected and it also goes back to the uh steven ranella bit about um you know eyelashes fish don't have eyelashes that's why fishers like fishermen don't get targeted as much you know because you know everything we hunt have has eyelashes you know it's 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 one of those things and it's confronting to people because they're so disconnected to where their food comes from at the end of the day um you know it's it's great having someone like you who has the tiktok following you have um you know a lot of real city um women it's call it what it is you know you've got a got a lot of yeah women the cougars the cougars the women that have never been out of the city into the country who buy meat they eat meat they think hunting's horrific but then we've got someone like you who is so well spoken so calm cool and collected who is representing us on this social media front that doesn't allow anything posted about hunting or firearms as soon as you post something with hunting or firearms yeah. it's gone you know so yeah well i've i've seen with your tiktok zach like everything that you post when it comes to hunting and and anything like that it, can, <laughs> it keeps getting taken down and i'm like you know what i'm rooting for you in the background on that silent on that silent supporter that's like nah you know what the best one that i ever seen was that um that whack that um goat one the that goat. you did and i laughed so much at it because yeah. i was like the sound of it is just perfect yeah but um yeah no 100 they delete everything that has to do with hunting and that's why i haven't posted anything on my social media when it comes to my hunting and that and like i'm all for you know celebrating and you know zach you're a big one that posts a lot to social media of your hunting and stuff like that and i'm all for it i love seeing it on my fyp and that i love seeing it right but because of my following, I've decided to not post my photos and stuff like that. And it's not because I'm ashamed to be a hunter. What it is, it's because I feel like because of the controversial shit that I say on my TikTok, I don't want it linked to being a hunter yeah. because then they're going to get that ideology that I'm some barbarian, you know, that going back to the smacking the wife in the face and now I'm a hunter like that they're going to be like, that's the yeah. sort of characters that are hunters and that. So I choose to do like, I choose to remove the hunting from my social, the large majority of my social media. I might post one or two clips where I'm like out in the bush and just hiking and stuff like that and take a nice photo of me in the bush. I'll upload that. And it's less in your face than, than an animal that's been harvested on the ground um, that they associate me with that. Um, but I'm more than happy to openly speak whenever there's a hunting comment um, in depth about hunting and why I love hunting. And you find that actually, like I would say the large majority of people are all for hunting, but what it is is because they're not a part of the community, they don't actually see 
that side of things and they don't see the attack that we're under when it comes to hunting as well because they're not, you know, your algorithms of your social media, if you don't regularly search hunting and stuff, it's never going to pop up on your FYP because why would it? Because it doesn't associate with you, right? But if I can like sort of enlighten people on what it is about hunting that we all love, I'm more than happy to have a conversation about that. And I find that I would say 99.9% of all, you know, your, your 20 to 50 year old women, they, they have nothing against hunting and they actually like the thought of harvesting your own meat rather than going to a supermarket but they've never been in that lifestyle. They've grown up in the city and they've never left the city before, so they've never had a reason to hunt. Yeah, man, exactly. So what's your favourite thing to cook with hunted slash caught meat? I'm a... So I'm I'm a very basic um, cook when it comes to a lot of food, but... Um, this actually a shout out to my ex-partner. Um, she, she actually made me fall in love with the food that I was harvesting because beforehand I wasn't very experimental when it comes to food. Um, like I loved, I loved all different types of food. Like I love spicy food. I love bland food. Whatever it is, I'll eat it. I'm a garbage disposal, but I never really adventured out of the norm when it come to harvesting my food because I was like, I harvested the food and now I don't really want to mess it up. I don't want to mess a meal up because I've I've harvested that animal and I care about that meat. So I would always just eat like your bland steaks and maybe chuck a little rub on it or something like that. But then she made me fall in love with making briskets in the slow cooker, um, my venison briskets. Um, and I do like your sort of like your tomahawk steaks and um, like your cutlets and stuff like that. I, I love doing all of that and just those juicy eye fillets. Oh, they're just so good. They're, I don't think that anything can really beat those those eye fillets that you get out of a natural harvested animal, wild Definitely. game animal. Um, I don't mind. So my, my step-parents, my step-parent, um, her – mum and dad are Maltese. So they're a lot more experimental with their sort of old woggy dishes and stuff. And I once had a blood and bone broth, um, like over potato and steak. And I was like the thought of it to have the blood. I was like, that is disgusting. That is repulsive. And I would never eat it in my life. (laughs) But when I actually finally come to and I tried it, I it was actually delicious and I actually need to hit them up soon and make another one because awesome. I actually missed that that meal. Yeah. That's sweet. That's an interesting one. I'm definitely going to have to look that one up to try and work out how to do it. Not that my family yeah. would eat it, but I'd definitely give it a <laughs> good old crack. What about best hunting story? Um, the best hunting story, it, I don't think they come down to harvesting an animal. My best hunting story, I've actually got them here. So, Zach, you're going to be able to see it. But for the viewers at home and that, you're not going to be able to see this. I found these casties. Yep. And that was in the area oh, that hold, you can't. Hold that Zach. up for a second. Hold it up. I'm going to get it. And, hang on. Not only that. Hang on. It's gone everywhere. 
Not only that, but I got the matching pair to it. That's sick. That's so good. So I managed to find those casties out by the area that you were camping, is, Zach. Is that not, is that the uh, offer that same red that um, Steve sent me trail cam photos of? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's so it. so this is this is two years after that trail camera photo was taken. So this is I, I would put him I think at around a six year old deer now, and he is an absolute monster for Victorian reds. Wild, not not on a farm, anything like that. We've got a, what is he, a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven by one, two, three, four, five, six. So a seven by six, and he's an absolute monster. Now, there was a day where I had taken a fellow buck, and he was probably, like, I would put, like, a nine to ten-year-old deer. He had gone backwards, and he just was left with nubs. But you could tell that it wasn't, like, a spike or anything like that. He's, all of his molars were grinded right down. I had just taken him, and I was harvesting him in the bush when um, we call him Clifford. <laughs> Clifford, after the big red dog, we um, oh, he would have walked in within, like, ten yards of me. That's insane. Ten yards he walked in and um I didn't I didn't shoot him. And I feel like it was maybe my biggest mistake I've ever made in hunting <laughs> because I don't think I'm ever gonna come across a deer that big again. No, that's a absolute giant and for people listening I will post up the uh, photo that I I just took because that's a absolute giant and I'll have to ask Steve if I can post the trail cam photo up as well. Um but yeah, that's that's a bloody good deer. That's for sure. Have have I lost you there or got you? There we go. Oh, I got you. Got me back now. There we go. They cut out good for a little second, but that's all good. Um, how do you see the public views on hunting? I know we covered this a little bit, but no, how... I've lost you again, Zach. Oh, yep. So, a little bit of lag there. Um, how do you see the public views on hunting and hunters? I know we covered that a little bit just before, but... Yeah, I think I think generally, besides people's ulterior motives when it comes to hunting, um, I think that the, the majority of people I've found that are quite accepting of hunting... I just think that there's small minority populations that that do look down upon hunting, um, and I I, I sort of I, I do want to dive in a little bit when it comes to the ulterior motives. You know, as I said that you know that Disney theory where where everybody thinks that these animals have their own personality, um, and that you know you you shoot a deer and you you're shooting Bambi. You know, you've got the bears over in America and stuff and around the world where they have bear populations. They look at it as like brother bear. And I feel like that 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 from for kids from a young age growing up and watching Disney and that. And I know like myself, my favorite my favorite movie as a kid was Lion King when that came out. And I loved Lion King so much. And then when I was watching documentaries about lion hunting i was like i can't kill simba do you know what i mean and then i was like what what am i doing like how can i sit here and say i'm more than happy to hunt a deer 
but I'm not happy to hunt a lion. That's that's what people have in their country, so that's what they hunt. Yeah. As long as it's legal, I can't I can't argue with legal hunting. I can argue with illegal hunting 100% and I'm fully against illegal hunting and poaching 100%. I I can't stand it and I I know that there's animals out there that are getting tortured for like rhino horns and stuff like that. Rhinos are being tortured for their for their horns and stuff. I get that that is repulsive and I believe that those people should spend the rest of their life locked away in a prison. Um and we should probably cut their horns off. Um but <laughs> <laughs> we I think from a young age, we're being brainwashed when it comes to hunting and it's bad. And, you know, in Disney movies, there's hunters that are the bad guys. There, There is bad guys that are hunting and killing, you know, Bambi's mother and, you know, the fox and the hound. That's a classic. See, the, you fox, know, the hunter looks like a, fox a bad guy. Fox and the hound was one of my favorite, still is one of my favorite of all time Disney movies. You know, the, ba- the hunter's yeah. the bad guy. But, yeah. you know, it's just but, people that are far removed watching it. You know, it's, you know, hunters themselves watching that's it. That's right. We- and, and you know, like I can't, uh, like I can't blame someone to be like being detached from hunting. I can't blame people for having this outlook on hunting if they've never hunted, if they've never experienced what it's like to be out in the bush. I totally get it. And why? Because we're humans and we judge things that are out of the regular for us. I totally get that. I understand that. That's just, it's human nature for us to judge something that's out of the norm. And I, and I really gathered that from me starting social media, quitting my nine to five job and jumping out of the norm and going and doing that. Why? Because I copped a lot of judgment in my small hometown doing that because they were like, you know, nobody from this small town is going to you know, result to something online because that's just not heard of around here. I I understand judgment and I get people's outlook on hunting, but I think that when you experience it, I think that you would have a large, largely different outlook on hunting unless if you are true, like I say, that veganism lifestyle. Okay, no worries. If you live a vegan lifestyle, cool. Or kudos to you, but don't judge me for living my lifestyle, as I said before. Um, I think that the large majority of people become quite open to it when they understand why we do love it and why it is our passion and that we're not just gung-ho yahoos running around the country shooting up the place and shooting road signs and shit as you do see sometimes when you are. Like, I can't sit here and say that the hunting community is absolutely perfect but I also can't sit there and say a vegan can't sit there and say that their whole, their whole community is absolutely perfect either. There is, there is yahoos to all these different communities. But I think, as I say, the large majority of people, when they actually get an understanding of hunting and why hunting is a necessity, then they're, they're all for it. I just think that it's those people that have the closed minded, um, mentality that will never understand and they'll never, They'll never, it's not that they don't understand, they're never willing to accept that our outlook on life. They're very closed minded. And as I always say, you can't fight stupid. You yeah. can't argue with stupid, yeah. right? And if you're closed mind, I think that you're stupid, right? And I I had this saying, um, I, th- I think it might have been my old man that actually had first ever said it to me. It was, you don't argue with a deaf person. 
because they can't hear you, yeah. right? There's alternative, alternative ways to argue with a deaf person, like a keypad or an iPhone or something like that, and that's what seems to be happening these days is where we're fighting with these people over online. But when you truly stand face-to-face with someone and you have a conversation, you know whether that person's closed off to that conversation or not. So you don't fight, you don't argue with a deaf person because they're not listening to you. Why would you waste your breath on something that's not going to listen to you, right? And the more that you argue with that, the more that you the more that you sort of drive their motive because when two people don't listen to each other, it becomes heated, right? And all they want is a reaction out of us. They want that reaction. They want to see us blow up. They want to see us get angry. And it doesn't matter if they get angry in order for us to then get defensive and fire up. They're going to clip that and they're just going to show you on social media and stuff like that of us bursting out with anger, right? And we can really use social media to really push our our lifestyle. I'm not going to say motive. I don't think it's a motive. I think it's a lifestyle that we live. We can really push it in a positive mindset, but we we've got to stop harping on with the with the deaf people. And I'm I'm so, like I don't mean to use deaf people in that sort of term, but like it is. It's it's people that are not willing to listen to us. So they're closed off from us. So they might as well be deaf because they're not listening to our side of the story because they've got their own motive and that they want to just push that and they don't care about anyone else's motive. Yeah, I I definitely get what you're saying. Don't worry about offending deaf people. I don't think they'll be listening. Sorry, bad joke. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The first thing that popped up into my mind when you said that, I'm sorry. (laughs) 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 <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't get over that one. <laughs> so how yeah. would you change the public views on hunting and hunters? I know you kind of touched that on the end of that, that, that little bit there, but how would you personally change the public views on hunting and hunters? Personally, I would stop that heated argument that we have in those Facebook comments on the GMA 100% because if you're a... If you're an outsider and you're looking into the hunting community and the first thing that you do is say, oh, well, okay, well, how do I get into hunting? And you go to GMA because it's posted all over the website. And this is mainly for the Victorians as well and largely for Australian Australian population and worldwide as well. If if you have that, that sort of government branch that covers that area of hunting and that you you need to really watch yourself on how you represent yourself because those people that are first coming into our scene and wanting to get into it they're going to look at those facebook comments and they're going to see how the hunting community is reacting to to posts and stuff and you you need to stop taking such a harsh in your face approach because and this this is a question for the hunting community. Like, how do you guys feel when you see those vegans that are standing out in the middle of Melbourne City and all around those major cities with those pigs on it or, you know, the humans laying on the ground with the fake blood all over them and stuff? And we, we just look at them. We're like, you guys look like fucking idiots, you know? Like, you guys are carrying on like absolute pork chops, right? But we're doing the same thing. We're doing, the, we're doing the exact same thing when we sit there and we get angry and we start getting irate and we bring all of our own personal problems into the actual scenario. What you need to do is you need to take a step back. You need to have a good deep breath and you need to, you know, do your stop, think, do that we all got taught back in school. Stop, think, do. Stop, 
before you write that heated com- um, comment, is this going to be detrimental or is this going to be constructive to our community? If it's detrimental, d- hit the leap because quite frankly, there's 10,000 other people that are writing the exact same comment as what you are and you're not adding. You're just making us look like fools if you get in a heated argument over a Facebook post. It doesn't – like GMA, uh, like – all government branches aren't going to look at that comment and be like, oh, yeah, this guy's getting all right. Yeah, we should do what he does. No, they're going to be look at you and they're going to be like, why would I listen to some some guy that's sitting on the back of a keyboard saying that you're going to run through our building and you're going to do this and you're going to do that? Like, you're not going to do anything. All you are is you're angry and you're upset with a situation that you don't like. And we need to be adults about it and we just need to relax for a moment and we need to... St- we need to just really think about is it constructive or destructive to our community because the more people that start reacting in a constructive way, I don't think if we branch together and we we work together, nothing's going to be able to hurt us. Nothing's going to be able to – because they're not going to look at us as if we're some gun-ho yahoos. They're going to look at us as if we're intelligent, intellectual people that understand the way of the life. And the only reason why we are here is because our ancestors back in the day, they hunted. Yeah. That was the only way that we made it through these generations and these thousands and thousands of years of life. You know, The only way that we made it through was there was hunters, there was gatherers, there was people that built our hearts. They're like – Everything about it is so ancestral and we need to stop acting like barbarians and we need to stop acting like Neanderthals and we need to start acting like the common decent person that we are in civilization to this day. Like you're not going to go into your work office and be like, fuck this and fuck that and, you know, you know, I want this and boss, if you don't give me this, then I'm going to do this. Like your boss is going to turn around to you and be like, you're an idiot, mate. Get the fuck out of my office, you know? So you need to start reacting like that. People need to start thinking more clearly. Yeah, man. A hundred percent, you know. um, I do a bit of work with Firearm Owners United. They sponsor the podcast. Um, I'm a state representative forum. um, And it's just so hard to get support, you know. Um, Previous bonus episode I just did with the president of Firearm Owners United to, you know, try and drive membership and get people down to the deer expo that's on this weekend you know today saturday was the first day it's actually like, right right near my hometown well you need to get down there tomorrow my friend it's, yeah yeah I will. <laughs> go sign up mother's to, day sorry mum. i won't be there i'll be at the deer expo yeah. well take her down i i, I, I yeah. think she gets a free coffee uh <laughs> but um you know you get all these these facebook guys and they're like i want better gun laws i want to be over to own this i want this i want that i want this but you know an organization that's out there fighting for rights for hunters and firearm owners and no one wants to pay 30 dollars a year to sign up become a member and put their money where their mouth is to fight for these better laws you know firearm owners united dan he writes all these awesome campaigns for all different sorts of things suppressors he's done stuff for the duck the duck hunting in victoria south australia the um, proposed bow hunting ban in south australia and you know we want people to do these letter templates and people just are too lazy to do it you know they can write a a two-second comment on facebook complaining about it but they can't spend five minutes putting in a submission to better 
what's going on. Yeah, you know, it's well, that's right. So before you write that heated comment on these government body we- websites and their posts and stuff like that, how about let's take an extra couple of moments and let's sign these sign these letter. Me, I'm guilty. I haven't I haven't signed it, and I didn't see it though. Um, all my time is mainly taken up with either trying to drive drive my social media that I tend to forget what's happening in the outside life. So it's not until I see Zach um, triggering some people on TikTok with a post that that I, I'm like, oh, yeah, I might just quickly check Zach's. Because Zach's, Zach's Instagram is definitely one that I go to to sort of find out what's sort of happening in the hunting community because you don't just post you. You post a lot of the things that are happening and that's why I originally added you on Facebook originally because you were, I think at the time it was the cat scenario. The cat it was, saga. You had, you ended up on Daily Mail and shit like that. And <laughs> that was the first time that I'd added you. I'm like, you know what? This guy's funny. I see what he's doing here. And um, I liked it. And as I said, uh, being a troll on the internet, I was up to date with a lot of things and I, you know, always like to see the next best thing and the next person that's triggering the community. But when it comes to a love like mine, I, I truly, I truly just believe that we need to band together and, you know, like try and tell me that your life is so important that you can't spend five minutes to sign something to protect the one thing that you love in life, you know, and support, as organi- I say, support organizations that are out there fighting for you $30 a year. That's a pub meal. Like yeah, who can't afford a pub meal to go out and support someone that's out there putting letters out there meeting politicians you know it's it's quite sad you know you get i hate the term with a passion but you know fuds i'm happy with my single shot 22 you know i hate that term with a passion but it is i hate that term too because it's like okay cool yeah but what happens when your single shot 22 is gone yeah and it's getting what are you going to do then then what do you love WA has just released that they're um, doing uh, restrictions on firearm ownership, as in how many firearms you can actually own. Like it's, it's 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 getting bad out there. So you need to support someone yeah. that supports firearm ownership, hunting, whether it's bows, dogs, whatever you know, fishing. But moving on, you know, you said it's it, it's something you love towards the end there. What is hunting to you? Hunting's a lifestyle to me. There's no, like I said earlier on in the podcast, is there's no half in, half out when it comes to hunting. When you when you hunt, well, the moment that that sky breaks and you see that it's a decent day and the wind's not swirling and the wind's good, the first thing that you think of is, Huck, I'd like to be out on the mountain today. I like to be out on that hill. Uh, you know what? I know the perfect spot. When that southeasterly winds come through, I know the perfect spot where I need to be. That northerly wind comes through. Yeah, I've got another spot where I can hunt in a northerly wind. Um, it's it's purpose to my life. It's an anchor. It keeps me humble and it keeps me stable in life. The what the why factor when it comes to hunting is as I always, and I preach this a lot, I'm a guy that has ADHD. I'm a 28-year-old male that's fit, that needs to get out and do something. I I have a lot of energy. And 
in my situation of being cooped up in a house a lot of the time on live stream doing the long hours it's nice to be able to reset my clock reset my mental my mind state and just go out into nature no shoes just my socks i get to feel everything underneath my feet i get to smell the smells i get to taste that that humid air in the in the late afternoon or that you know, that first sunrise, that little bit of moisture in the air that you taste when you're out there at at sunrise, like everything about it just feels real to me. Everything about it, like we've created this fake social setting of civilization that we now live in where we're so detached from our main basics of life and that was to eat and survive eat and survive that and reproduct that was the three main things right so if we're not getting any of those things and i'm sure you know in today's day and age with tinder and shit it's very easy to reproduce but it's not that easy for people to to get that earthly feeling you know walking out on your man-made grass in your backyard is not the same as being out in nature where there's no european grass shit like that there's the Australian bush, the Aussie bush that we all love, you feel that underneath your, your feet, those twigs snapping, you know, you're, it's disconnecting your mind from today's society. And the one thing you're worried about is that twig snapping underneath your feet because something's going to hear from a hundred yards away. You know, you, you, you got to, you're so in touch with nature and I think that and to be a successful hunter as well I think that you need to be in touch with nature as well you need to understand that animals migrate in certain areas you know you're constantly thinking where they could be you know if I was surviving out here where would I be like where's the main source where's the food source where's the you know water and where's the warmest air that I can get to or the shade that I can get out of the hot weather, everything about it, you completely disconnect from society and you're, you're back one with the land. And I think that there's, there's nothing else that can connect you with the land and connect you with nature like hunting, because you're putting your skills up against an animal that lives out there 365 days a year. If it's raining, if it's hail, if it's sunshine, you know, that morning fog, they live in it all. They live in it all. They live through the dry, arid areas in, in summer and they live through the flooded plains and that in winter. You know, so to do that, it's just, there's nothing like it. There is yeah. nothing like it. That's what it is about me and harvesting my own meat that I get to feed my family and I get to feed my dog and I watch my dog grow because I don't have children, right? My dog has mainly grown off the meat that I have harvested from that Aussie bushland that we're provided. And to make the most of that, you know, the, it's free range meat. Who doesn't love that? You taste the berries in the meat in the season of spring that they've been eating. You can taste it through the meat. Yeah. If you truly, like, if you truly are there and you're not seasoning the meat and stuff, you can taste what they've been eating. Yeah, 100%. Now, that's that's a definitely an incredible way to put it, man. Um, you know, there's nothing nothing more like it and people that don't do it just don't understand what it's like and people that you know try and it's not for them they're just not letting it go enough to to be able to 
see what's out there. But you know, we all we all have our things. Not everyone was a hunter back in the day, like you you suggested yeah. anyway. But dude, and yeah. Oh, Sorry, I just wanted to say one more thing. It was go also on. like for men's mental health as well. It's a massive thing being out in the bush, that mental anguish that you go through when you're walking up a mountain and you're only a quarter of the way up and you look up to the top and you've got that 30 kilo pack on your back and you're like, I'm not making it up this hill. You get to the top and you're like, ah, all right, easy clap. So I'm, I'm ready to go to the next mountain. That was and me. You get to the bottom every- of that one and you're like, I can't do that. <laughs> that was me every single freaking hill in New Zealand. <laughs> it's steep there, isn't it? Oh, oh dude, it's, it's it's steep, but the altitude is just a yeah. fucking killer. Especially coming yep. from South Australia where the biggest peak in Adelaide is like four, maybe 500 metres above sea level, you know. <laughs> Over there, we are yeah. camping at 800 metres above sea level. And, Arc. you know, my tar was sitting at about 3,000, maybe 2,500 metres above sea level. And it's just... That's insane. Absolutely insane. Um, but, yeah, it's it's definitely a huge thing for mental health, and that's something that people don't talk about enough you know if people like i see all these i'm not sure what facebook groups you're on but you know you've got blokes advice um in south australia where we got sa brothers and it's just every second post is like i'm struggling with mental health i need help i need this i need that and it's just like guys get out back to the bush go fishing go hunting go hiking go camping like get out there reset you know it's yep. It's something that's not spoken about enough, and you that's know, not. you know, I, I I know you've you've struggled with your your own mental health side of stuff, and you've spoken about it on your TikTok. Um, but yeah, that just that reset that the the bush. Yeah, you. like I I suffer with PTSD, so I I'm diagnosed with PTSD, depression, and anxiety. I believe that maybe I have something what's called is um, borderline personality disorder because I find that I'm very irate at times, but it's within the walls of my own home as well that I struggle with anger. But um, I, I find that with my PTSD, when I'm out in the bush, I don't have my PTSD. And that's a crazy statement to make, but when I'm out there, I don't have my sweaty dreams at night and I'm waking up in the like so my PTSD come from my house fire I wake up in the middle of the night and I think that I'm on fire so I run to my shower and I'm still half asleep and then when I finally turn the water on I jump underneath there's been many occasions where I've jumped I've been asleep I've jumped into the shower with my clothes on because I think that I'm on fire I've never had one of those dreams and that became like almost on a nightly basis for six months straight. I'd never had a proper good night's sleep and that really affected my mental state as well. When I've been out in the bush, I've never once had that. I've never had those dreams because I'm just so one with nature that that whole mental side of thing, it just releases from me. And if I was to, I think that it would be a lot better if I was out there because I'm not in this confined space like a home. You're grounded, you know. You're, you yeah. Know, especially you not wearing boots. You're you're grounded with the earth. You know, it's yeah. It, it is something about it. You know, there's 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 something going on there that we have we don't have an understanding of. Um, you know, just yeah. watching that Cameron Haynes documentary, it 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 covers that as well. Like 
they might not use the words that we're using, but you know, like watching it, you can relate hard to it. And you know, listening to you talk about it before was exactly how I was feeling while I was watching it. It's just like I was when he when he was stalking that bear, and like it, you know, you got the blurry him and the focused bear, or the the focused him and the blurry bear. Yeah, I'm holding my breath, man. Like he's probably forty yards from it. It looked like it was yeah. ten yards, but it was probably like you 40, felt like you were yards. in it. Oh man, like you. Didn't you? You just when you're watching it, you you notice like, what do you? I don't know if you ever get it right, but if you're watching something really intense and it's like a build up like that, where he was 40, 40 yards from the bear, and you know the bear hasn't turned broadside yet, and he's ready to make an ethical shot, and he's waiting and he's holding, and then he lets down, and I start to feel those emotions <laughs> that he would may be going through, yeah. and like I'm like. I find that my body stiffens up and I'm trying to stay as still as I can. And then I realize, and then I click back to reality. I'm like, that wasn't me. Yeah. That wasn't me in that video, but I felt like I'm watching it. Why? Because it feels like a brother is going through it yeah. because of the camaraderie. Like Zach, you and I have never met in, no, in person, right? But it feels like I've known you for years, years and yeah. years and years because we have both have this burning passion inside of us of the same topic. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's something, you know, I've, I've been lucky to meet a bunch of different people from around the world that have a similar passion to what I have. And you spend a day with them and you're like, I've known you forever. Like, you know, when, when I went to New Zealand, I was there with, I've spoken to Jürgen, through Instagram, the two American boys I'd never met before, never met them, rocked up there. And, you know, I was the oldest, I was the grandpa of the group, 29, you know, I'm hunting with a 19, a 20 and a 21 year old and never met them. But within a day, we all, you know, were in each other's just same mindset, you know, just, yeah, you know, we knew what each other was thinking when it came to the hunting side of stuff. You know, we all had had that similar experience. Whether it was you know me in Australia, Jurgen in New Zealand, the American boys in New Jersey, and I'm gonna get killed. I can't. It's not Michigan, somewhere out that way. But yeah, you know, it's just just crazy how you know. Yeah. It's like, Four it's guys like that from guy. Different parts of the world. It's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Like, I talked to a guy called. J- oh, you would have watched his films 100%. J.E. Wilds on yep. YouTube. Yep. Um, um, incredible I've, videographer and photographer when it comes to sorry, New Zealand wildlife. Sorry to interrupt. He's just started a podcast. He's dropped his first episode. So check that yep. out. Um, the J.E. Wilds on Spotify, I believe it is. Um, but yeah, he's he's a good dude. Uh, I've spent many many times hunting with Cat, which is his his partner. Um, she yep. she's from Adelaide. She's moved over there. So shout out to Cat and um, Joe, both badass hunters and fishers. Yeah, that incredible. And um, Catherine just recently had her baby as well. She did. Um, but yeah, um, Joe. It is Joe, isn't it? Yeah, Joe. Joe. 
Yeah. Joe, um, I've spoken to him many times on Instagram and it's like I'm talking to one of my really good mates, but he's probably my biggest inspiration when it comes to the social media side of things because he's he was that inspiration that I watched and I was like, I want to be like that one day. Yeah, his, like, that's what I want. His stuff's incredible. The kingfish and just the hunting, and now he's got the show with Hunting and Fishing New Zealand and the podcast, yeah. and he's just smashing it out of the ballpark. So, can, yeah, I know you're probably not legend. listening to this, Cat or Joe, but congratulations. Um, Congrats, guys. Yeah, exactly. But for people that have enjoyed, it's come to that time of uh, time of the podcast. You know, we've been going for. Two and a bit hours, you know, two and a half hours. We chatted for 15, 20 minutes just before we started to get into the groove of things. Social media, where can people find you? Yeah, so my my handles are Facebook. It's just Jordan Street. You can add me on there. It automatically follows me, and then I can accept your friend request. Um, I'm not really on there too much, so don't expect a friend request to be accepted too quickly. <laughs> Instagram is where's Geordie underscore underscore or one word and then you can find me on multiple different accounts but i would like you to go if you can go to the where's geordie fishing on tiktok and it's where's geordie fishing on youtube youtube is the main one that i'm now pushing because i'm trying to move from the tiktok community across to youtube so then i can just start doing hunting and fishing full time um but yeah it's at where's geordie fishing and then later on there will be an at where's geordie hunting on youtube and then tiktok where's geordie yeah, where's Geordie underscore? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, sweet. So he's on live all the time. Drop in, say you heard heard him on the podcast. And yeah, he'll he'll be talking about a range of sort of things, but you know, he always makes the time to say, Hey, I listened to Hunting Connection podcast and loved your episode. And I'm sure he'll see the comment and get right on it. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely get excited if I see you guys in there. Also, just a massive shout out to absolutely everyone that has subscribed to um Zach's hunting connection podcast um it it means a lot for me as well because i've been able to see it from the ground up and behind the scenes before it ever happened so it's really awesome that you know my community was able to help get it off its feet and then zach ran with it and gave it his all and showed that respect side of things that the community tried to help him um and that he's run with it and he's doing amazing so it's it's been fantastic to jump on and i'm actually glad that we've we've waited this time for me to jump on so it's in full swing and i can't wait to see it as big as any other podcast (laughs) there is out there on spotify Nah, thanks man you're 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 definitely way too kind um no, I, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you. I really appreciate all your supporters on TikTok and those people that um, helped out to kick this podcast off and everyone that's listening, whether you've been listening from day dot or this is the first episode you're listening to, you know, I really appreciate you all. Yeah, thank you, guys. Nah, easy, and thank man. you, Zach. Thank you, Zach, for having me, man. Like, I, I really do appreciate you Let me come on here, and especially when it's a hunting. Like, I'm used to being on social media all the time. So being on, you know, most things, like, it doesn't really phase me. I don't really get hyped about most things because I am on social media yeah. and I have that presence on social media. But actually coming on here, it, like, had me a little bit chuffed beforehand. <laughs> I was on the phone to my best friend, and I was like, Man, I'm so excited to be on this podcast. You have no idea. No, it's it's been an absolute blast, man. You've smashed it out the ballpark. You know, you you're an amazing talker, and you've put some amazing insight in in a lot of the stuff we've discussed. So, no, I, I can't thank you enough Welcome, for coming man. on and everything that you've done, and keep doing what you're doing, mate. 
You too, mate. Legend. Easy, brother. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. Please head over to our social media and give us a follow. Instagram at Hunting Connection Podcast, Facebook at Hunting Connection Podcast, Twitter at Hunting Connect, TikTok at Hunting Connection Podcast. If you've enjoyed, please share with your friends and family, tag us in your photos and videos on social media, subscribe, rate and review to help grow the podcast. If you're interested in giving additional support to the podcast, you can head over to our podcast Patreon page. Thank you very much for listening and catch you next episode.